remember when the Lord when the Lord called him to Copenhagen, he had been leading a church of 400, and he was their worship leader, and he came to a church of 50. So the first time, you know, I put him on the worship team. He's playing guitar in the corner, and we had some acoustic sound wall. So here's George Gray in the corner, and all you see is the top of his head. And I'm thinking, Lord, after what he's been through, this ain't going to work. He didn't care. He just wanted to worship Jesus. See, and, and that's what I like about the Eastmans. That's what I appreciate about George. We're not here to build New Covenant Community Church. We're here to build the kingdom of God. I want you to take an invitation. And I want you to prayerfully hand it out. My wife was at a store talking to a woman she knows this week, and we didn't have these printed yet. And she said, hey, we got some Sunday night meetings. And this woman said, hey, let me get a piece of paper. Tell me when they are. You see, God went before her. The answer to us growing and reaching the community, I believe, is not going to be River of Life going door to door and going downtown, handing these out, though it's not going to hurt. But this is God saying to us, go ye therefore into your community and preach the good news. So I would ask you to be praying for that. Like I said, a week from tonight is our next one, then July 10th and August 14th. But we're also going to be having some meetings and Sunday nights without them. So, you know, we have tied baskets and offering thing. Let's just pray. Lord, we have a lot of needs. We thank you that you are there. And Lord, as Andrew said, I thank you for the seasons when you do test our faith. You allow us to go forward knowing that you are there, even if there's not a strong emotional connection. Or sometimes we feel like you're distant. But you're testing our faith so that we know that we know that we know that you are there. So, Lord, we continue to lift up the Ziegler family to you, to Sharon Margenzi. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing for their faith. We thank you, Lord, that in time of need, in such tragedy, Lord, you are so faithful to compassionately reach out and touch us right now. Lord, we lift up Francis to you, that you continue to touch her body, Lord. Lord, we lift up Pastor Fody to you, who is battling leukemia, Lord. We thank you that he's home now. It's still a long road, Lord, but it looks promising, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would touch that church, which is in a season of uncertainty and anxiety at times, Lord. I pray that this would be indeed be a faith-building time for them, Lord. We thank you for the Christian school and our sister Katie, Lord, who's also battling cancer. Pray, Lord, that you would move on her behalf, that you would continue to touch and strengthen her and Ryan, Father. We just thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I turned that on correctly. There we go. I'm a guitar player. I don't have a license to drive one of these. So, <laughs> Well, Dad has uh, given me the opportunity to share this morning, so I've been really looking forward to it. Um, if you have your Bibles, we can turn to Matthew 24, 9. And basically, I'm just going to be sharing a little bit about what we're seeing as we travel. So we're in a a lot of different churches every year, all areas of the country, different groups of people, and traveling gives you this really cool opportunity to meet a broad cross-section of people. 
right? So you meet people who are in the church faithfully. You meet people who aren't in church. You meet people who grew up in church but aren't anymore. And I think it's really cool to look at what's common within each generation. So I think each generation has their own set of challenges and things they have to have victory over. And I'm actually going to be sharing on Judas a little bit this morning. But I want to start in Matthew 24, 9. So Matthew 24, 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So what we're seeing a lot of as we travel are hurts and offenses. Right? You don't have to look very far before you find somebody who's offended about something, right? Everyone's got their pet thing nowadays, and that can look like a lot of different stuff, right? We meet people who have family issues, right? I know none of you have any uh, frustrating relatives, but some people do. Uh, we meet people who have political issues, right? They have issues with the church, church leadership. Not all Christians are super nice. And some people are even offended with God. And what I want to start with is talking about the difference between hurts and offenses. Because I think that's a pivotal distinction. They're not the same thing. So hurts are things that were done to you. Right? They're things that were done to you. They happened to you. Someone did something evil. Something bad happened. Someone said something they shouldn't have. Right? And it hurt you. It impacted you. It, it hits you in a negative way. And the reaction to hurt is outward. Right? If you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. That's just human nature. That's normal, right? It's an outward reaction. Bitterness comes out of hurt. And there are a lot of people who have a lot of pain because of what was done to them. And that's a very, very real thing. But something that I think is less talked about, but equally important, are offenses. So offenses, things that should have been done for you, should have happened for you, should have taken place, and they didn't, right? So a group should have accepted you. Someone should have loved you, and they didn't. Life was supposed to go a certain way. You had plans, you had hopes, you had dreams, you had things that were supposed to work out, and it fell apart. And the reaction to offense isn't outward, right? With hurts, it's outward. If you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. But if life fails me, right? If things don't go the way I wanted them to, if, if, if someone I thought was this way, I thought this person was, and then suddenly they're not, and they totally massively fail me, I want to hurt myself. The reaction's inward. And Judas didn't do what he did because he was hurt, bitter, and angry. So Judas didn't betray Jesus and kill himself because he was hurt, bitter, and angry. He did it because he was offended. Things didn't go the way he expected. Things didn't go the way he wanted. You see, Judas wasn't actually a bad disciple in the beginning. He wasn't a bad disciple in the beginning. It says that all the disciples did miracles. Now, what does that mean? That means that Judas prayed for people and got results. Right? He actually healed people. 
if everyone else is off doing all this fantastic stuff and Judas is just kind of, that probably would have been written down somewhere, right? Someone would have noticed. They would have been like, you know, this Judas dude, I'm not so sure. But no, it says all the disciples did miracles. Now that blew my mind because growing up, my mental image of Judas was this dude with like two horns and a pointy tail, right? My, my mental image of him was, was that he's the villain. He's the bad guy. The only reason he's even in the Bible is to portray Jesus, right? But no, then it says all the disciples did miracles. It says that Judas was put in charge of the money. Now, you don't give the money to the guy who can't count, right? No, no, you give it to the guy who's smart enough to take care of it, right, and trustworthy enough to be given it. So this wasn't, this wasn't some ignorant guy who had no clue what he was doing and accidentally betrayed Jesus, right? No, he had a good head on his shoulders. Uh, his name, Judas, is the Greek version of Judah, which means praise. So apparently his parents loved him enough to give him a good name, right? He didn't come from some horrible, evil, bad background, right? He, he had good, a good family situation. When Jesus actually called the disciples, he said, if you follow me, there are 12 thrones waiting for you in heaven. 12 thrones, not 11. Judas had the opportunity to do it right. This was not a foregone conclusion. And the proof of this is that the Last Supper, right? G what does Jesus say? He says, one of you will betray me. And everyone didn't turn and look at Judas and go, hmm, yes, well, we know who that's going to be now, don't we? <laughs> no, no, what does it say? It says, they're going, is, is, am I the one? Is it, is it me? I picture Peter off in a corner somewhere going, it's me, it's definitely me, I'm the worst. It's all about me. But no, no, they didn't, they didn't know who it was at all. And then Jesus takes it a step further, right? What, what does he say? He says, it's who I give the sop to. And they still didn't get it. They, they still didn't figure it out. It says they talked amongst themselves. They're going, well, wait a second. What is, what is that? We, ah, we, we just, he's not going to tell us. We just must have misunderstood. That's not it. Because Judas wasn't this picture of an evil betrayer, right? He wasn't the picture of the villain. He wasn't this bad guy. Judas had a lot on the ball. He had a lot going for him. He had a good head on his shoulders. There was nothing lacking in Judas except that Jesus didn't do what Judas wanted him to. Judas had a plan for Jesus. Judas had things that he wanted Jesus to accomplish, things that he thought the Messiah should be doing, and Jesus wasn't doing them, right? Uh, for example, why isn't Jesus getting rid of the Romans? Fair question, right? The, all the prophecies say the Messiah is going to deliver us. He's going to set us free. He's going to take away our bondage, right? All this great stuff. And we're enslaved to another nation. We're completely owned by another nation. And Jesus is doing nothing about it. He's not doing anything about it. Why isn't Jesus fixing the politics of the time? Right? They had political leaders who were a joke. Why, is it, why isn't he fixing the corrupt religious leaders? He could be doing something, right? There are all these things he wanted Jesus to do. And that was actually common thinking at the time. 
uh, you look at uh, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Jesus is resurrected and he meets the two disciples on the Emmaus Road and they don't recognize him. And what do they say? He says, what, why, why are you sad? What troubles you? And they go, oh, well, haven't you, haven't you heard? They killed Jesus. And it was he who we had thought would deliver Israel, right? It's like you, you just want to go, you dummies, right? He just had. He just delivered the whole entire world. But he didn't do it the way they wanted him to. And when it says in Matthew that tribulation will come and many will be offended, will hate one another, will betray one another, these are not bad people. Right? These are not the villains. These are not the, the people who were kind of there already mad and angry. No, 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 no. These people started out really good. Right? They, they believed in Jesus, operated in ministry even, but it didn't go the way they thought it would. Didn't go the way they expected. They didn't plan for tribulation. They didn't plan for it to be difficult. And suddenly, when life doesn't go the way they thought it would, they go, oh, wait a second. I, I, I didn't sign up for this, right? Je Jesus isn't, this isn't what I expected at all, right? And consequently, they feel betrayed and they begin betraying one another. Factions and divisions, have you noticed any of these recently in the last couple years, right? Kind of becoming more and more prevalent. I, I, you know, the number of towns we go through in a year where there's like 300 people in the town and there's like seven churches, Right? Uh, we were actually, was it Arkansas? I think it was Arkansas. We were driving through this really small town, and on the right, entering the town, on the right-hand side of the road, there's a church, nice sign, uh, anointed full gospel church, right? Solid name, great. But the problem is leaving the town, about five seconds later, on the left-hand side of the road, there was another church, more anointed full gospel church. I wish I could tell you they were affiliated and that that was a joke, but no, 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 they were not. But you know what happened, right? Sister Bucketmouth was supposed to bring her potato salad to the potluck, and Sister So-and-So's was better. Nah, 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 nah. Offenses. Judas was offended. Jesus didn't look like what he thought the Messiah should look like. Jesus didn't fit his picture of what the Messiah should be doing. Because everything in Judas's life went through the lens of what Jesus is going to do for me. What I want from Jesus. How Jesus is going to make my life. Everything went through that lens. And when you look at the Bible with that picture in mind, suddenly it changes everything. Because Judas probably watched Jesus heal people, right? And he's sitting there going, interesting. I mean, great that they're healed and all that, whatever. But uh, if we get hurt when we start fighting the Romans and doing what we're supposed to be doing, right? He can heal us. Great. He watched Jesus feed the 5,000. He's going, we don't have to worry about rations. He can feed us wherever we are. We can actually walk across water to get wherever we need to go. If we die gloriously in battle, right? He'll just raise us from the dead. We have got this. This is good. Everything went through the lens of what he wanted from Jesus. And you can, you can look at that and go, well, that's a bit of an extreme example, right? We can't prove he was thinking that. But how many people every day in this country go to church, read their Bibles, right? Pray, 
all of it goes through the lens of what Jesus is going to do for me. What I want from Jesus. How Jesus is going to make my life better. I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise because Jesus is tagged on the end of my life. Because so many people have something that's very, very close to the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And that's called religion. That's the definition of religion. It's something that looks a lot like the real thing, has all the trappings, but inside it's not right. And I love, I love actually illustrating religion with uh, smallpox. Now we're going to have a nerd moment here, so bear with me, okay? So smallpox, when you get the smallpox vaccine, you're actually not getting dead smallpox cells. Because even dead smallpox is like so toxic it would kill you instantly, right? It's really, really bad. What you're actually getting is this stuff called cowpox. Now cowpox looks a lot like smallpox. And thankfully your body can't spell, right? So what happens is you get the shot, right? Your body goes, ooh, that's smallpox. It starts creating antibodies. You hurt a little bit and then you get over it and you're inoculated to the real thing. It's, it's kind of cool actually. But what happens to so many people is when they come to Christ, rather than surrender their whole lives to him, rather than go, you know what, God, everything's up for grabs. Whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours. They take their plans, what they want out of life, their goals, and they tag Jesus on the end of it. And they go, good, he's going to fulfill my plans. And the problem is, when it doesn't work out, suddenly they go, ooh, 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 wait a second, this isn't right. Because so many people come to Christ and the biggest motivator, the only motivator, is either expectation of reward or fear of punishment. Right? Either I don't want to go to hell or if I follow the rules, I'm going to get this mega mansion in heaven. And that's the only motivation. And the problem with both of those things is they're all about me. They're all about me. Jesus, man, he's not even in the picture. He's just some dude out in the ether, right, who's either dealing out punishment or offering reward, but there's no love for him. There's no relationship with him. And it goes fine until Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do. And then it all falls apart. And Judas did what a lot of people every day are still doing. Things didn't go the way he wanted them to, and suddenly he went, wait, wait, wait. I, I need to make Jesus do what I want him to do. I need to put God in a box. If I sell him out to the Romans, right, if his life is in danger, if he's in trouble, he's going to have to come forward as the superhuman Messiah, right, who just melts everybody's faces off with lightning and whatever, right? But no, he's, I'm going to make him do what I want him to do. And so many people come to Christ they have all these expectations built up. They've been told God is a certain way and he's not this other way. And they have all these ideas of who God is that aren't founded in Scripture. And suddenly when life doesn't go for them the way they want, they go, wait, 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 wait. I need to make God be what I want him to be. I, I need to change God. I need to actually put God in a box. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll use religion. I'll use emotion. I'll use doctrine. I'll do whatever I got to do. I'll highlight my Bible with Sharpie if I have to, right? I'll do whatever I need to do to force God to be the way I want him to be and make sure that I'm comfortable. But the problem is when you take 
your opinions, your views, your plans, and you hold them up above Scripture, and you go, this is my God. What you've done is created a false God. And he'll always disappoint you. He'll never be what you want him to be. He'll never be what you need him to be because you can't put God in a box. You can't force him to do anything, right? He's infinite. He'll do whatever he wants. He'll do whatever he wants with whoever he wants, right? Do you know God will actually use people you don't even like? Now that, that's super annoying, honestly. That's really frustrating, right? He'll use people we don't like. He'll use people we don't even agree with. Right? How, that's super frustrating. Um, I think it was, it was A.W. Tozer uh, was, had a pastor's conference. This was a long time ago. And they had about two, three hundred pastors, and you could ask questions about church building, counseling people, preaching, you know, whatever. And uh, they had a bunch of senior men, and A.W. Tozer was up there and receiving questions, and a guy got up who was basically trying to start a doctrinal fight, right, in the middle of the meeting. So he gets up and he says, uh, well, Mr. Tozer, are you an Armenian or a Calvinist? In a room full of 100 pastors who are all different denominations, you know, and it's, it's like, oh boy, this is not going to go well. And Tozer thought for a second and he said, I would remind everyone that Jonathan Edwards was a Calvinist and John Wesley was an Armenian. And God used both of them to bring many to repentance. Next question. God won't be put in a box. He will not be forced to do what you want him to. We have to follow him. But there are a lot of people today who have a lot of pain because of what wasn't done for them. As we travel, the number of kids we see that grow up without the love of parents, right? They, they have friends who, who aren't real friends, lead them into all kinds of problems. They have leaders who are in it for nothing but themselves. And what I've observed is by the time a lot of kids are about 18, 19, college age, right? Whether they know it or not, a lot of stuff in their life has failed them. They've been told a lot of lies, right? I grew up with friends who were told, you know, you can sleep around and it will not affect you. Truth is kind of this gray area. There's no absolutes, whatever. And the problem is around that age is where the real issues start to manifest because you have to do real life. Right? You have to go get a job. You have to go out and go to college. You have to do all these real life things. And suddenly, real life slaps you in the middle of the face. And suddenly you're faced with the reality, you know what, all this stuff has failed me in one way or another. And then you realize I'm not even what I'm supposed to be. I'm not even what I thought I was. I had friends growing up, all they ever talked about was, I just can't wait to get out of my parents' house, right? I just can't wait to get out from under my parents' house, do my own thing. I'm just going to be this awesome, like, millionaire DJ or whatever, you know? Like, it's going to be fantastic, man. Then they got out in the real world and realized they sucked, right? They weren't disciplined. They weren't organized. They couldn't make relationships work. And then suddenly, truth started hammering them. Because they realize, well, wait a second, if I sleep around, it does affect me. Wait a second, truth is an absolute. There are things in this world that are unmovable. Whether I admit it or not, they're still going to happen, right? And all this stuff just keeps hammering you. And then you're faced with the reality, you know what? I, I'm, I'm not even that great. Like I, I can't even live up to what I thought I was going to be. And that destroys you. 
that completely wrecks you. And that's why the suicide rate is so high on college campuses. Because we have a generation of kids who were told a bunch of lies. They believed a bunch of lies. And a bunch of stuff in life didn't live up to what it was supposed to be. And suddenly they're faced with the reality, I'm, I'm not even living up to any kind of measuring stick at all. And they don't see any hope. They don't know about Jesus and they don't have any option. And Judas actually killed himself because what he thought would happen, right? The great battle of Jerusalem was suddenly replaced with the fact that Jesus was an innocent Savior giving his life for the sins of the world. Suddenly everything he had planned fell completely apart. And what's the saddest scripture in the Bible to me is the fact that Judas actually did more after he sinned than a lot of people do when they come to Christ. What, what did he do? It says he confessed his sins. He went, I have betrayed an innocent man. He repented himself. He said he was sorry. He went and he threw the money down in front of the money changers, right? Most people believe if you just believe in Jesus somehow, you're good, you're golden, right? But it says even the demons believe in Jesus. And at last I checked, they're not going to heaven. And Judas refused to give up his plans for what Jesus was going to do. And he stood there shaking his finger at God going, somehow you failed me. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. And he remained a traitor and he went and killed himself as a final act of defiance. And there are a lot of people today who have offenses with God. They're offended with God, right? They prayed for loved ones to be healed and it didn't happen. They wanted a loved one to be saved, and, and it didn't take place. They wanted a specific ministry. They wanted a promotion. They wanted something, and they prayed for it, and it did, life just did, it didn't work out. And suddenly, there's an offense with God. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You didn't do what I wanted you to. And when you reach that place, when life suddenly doesn't go the way you expect or the way you want, you're presented with a choice. Because you can either get bitter and offended with God, right? Or you can go, not my will, but yours be done. Because the question we have to ask ourselves every day is, do we want God to fulfill our plans, or do we want God's plans fulfilled in us? Because one will always be infinitely better than the other, right? One will always be so far above everything we could ask or, or think. You know, I don't... I really don't think Paul planned to do most of his ministry from prison, right? That probably wasn't his grand ambition in life, you know, rats and wrought iron. I'm really into that decor recently. No, probably not, but he changed the world. He influenced and changed the known world at the time from a prison cell. How awesome is that? And Judas actually put Jesus on a cross trying to accomplish what he wanted out of God. But the rest of the disciples put themselves on a cross accomplishing what God wanted. Amen? So my question this morning is, what areas of our lives do we have offenses that we need to fix? With God, with people, with ourselves, with whatever. Right? Because the only person you're hurting when you hold on to stuff is yourself. That's the only person it impacts. But most importantly, what areas of our lives are we looking at life through our lens, right? 
the lens of what we want from God, things we want God to do. And having goals, having plans, wanting things from God, that's awesome, right? But when we take that and hold it up above God and go, no, I want this more than you, that's where it's a problem. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see through the eyes of Christ today. I want to see through Christ's lens, right? I want to see through his lens for every situation I'm in, every person I meet, every discussion I have, every choice I make. I want to see through the eyes of Christ. Because that is the only way we'll make it through life. Amen? Everything else is subpar. And I've had to go to God many times and go, you know what? I need, man, I need like a Holy Ghost prescription change, right? Is it clearer? Is it blurrier? Is it clearer? Is it blurrier? Right? I need, I need a prescription change because I'm not seeing straight at all. I've had to go to God with offenses and go, you know what? I, I need a clean sheet of paper. I've got scribbles all over my paper and most of it's in ink and i i need a new piece of paper i can't fix this person i can't fix this situation but i need you to help me forgive right forgiveness is such a powerful thing uh, there have been many times god's had to show me how to ask forgiveness right i've been the source of some offenses in my life believe it or not my mom doesn't believe it she thinks i'm perfect but you know and the Lord does have a sense of humor. He usually waits until right before we go to bed to put someone on our heart, right? But the thing is, today, our world doesn't need to see a bunch of people who are hung up on offenses, who are holding God to what they want from Him. Because anyone can do that, right? Everyone believes in the man upstairs kind of thing, deep down somewhere, but it doesn't have any effect on their lives. What they need to see today are a people who are so focused on Jesus so focused on doing His will, no matter what, that nothing else matters. They're completely sold out. Because our world today is running out of things to live for very, very quickly. The number of people my age and younger that I talk to who literally have done everything there is to do. There's nothing left. And they're 20. Right? That's not going to be a fun next 60 years. And sadly, a lot of them aren't making it that far. And what they need to see today is a church it's on fire for God and going, you know what? We've found what to live for. We've found what to die for. Amen. So thank you so much for listening. I'm going to hand it over to dad here.